Well, I invite you to open up with me to Luke chapter 11. We'll be reading verses 1 through 13. You can find that on page 1029 in your pew Bible. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, we come to you and we ask, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. You're our rabbi. Only you can teach us. So I ask somehow that you use the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts we ask that those would be acceptable and pleasing to you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when I was 19 years old, I just attended a uh, retreat, a camp conference for college students, for Christian college students. And it was a pretty big, bold step of faith for me to participate in this conference, uh, you know, at this time in my life. So I thought I was, you know, doing the kind of holy thing. On our way back from the conference, I had chosen to drive to the conference. Um, we were coming from the Santa Rosa area, and I was going back into the East Bay. I had about five people in my car. I took a wrong turn. I went on the, uh, San Ro- I went on the Golden Gate Bridge where I should have gone on the San Rafael Bridge. So I'm there in the city. And, of course, once we get in the city, my car starts to smoke. I'm traversing around the city, not even really knowing where I'm going. This is before cell phones really were common or GPS. And my car's smoking. I pull over, and we look in the hood, and there's this huge gash in one of the hoses. We try to go further, which was not smart. And, of course, we couldn't go much further. So I end up on the Embarcadero in a really busy spot with nowhere to park. 
I somehow, we push the car into this one area where there's not so much traffic, and I'm kind of panicking. Well, there was one girl who actually did have a cell phone, and she had AAA, too, so she called for the tow truck, and they said, okay, the tow truck will, will be coming. And uh, the rest of the people said, well, let's, let's catch a ride with somebody else. And I said, well, please go ahead and do that. I'll sit here with the car and wait for the tow truck. They caught a ride, you know, in about a half hour after that. So I'm waiting for the tow truck. An hour passes. Two hours passes. This is the fleet week, back, you know, by the way, during San Francisco. So it's a really busy time. And I said, okay, I just learned at the conference that uh, I can pray, right? I can, I can pray to God and, and ask for God to help. So I pray. Oh, God, please, please help me. I just went to this conference for you, and now I'm in San Francisco with a broken down car. Nothing happens. Now another hour passes. Another two hours pass. I'm getting anxious inside. I'm starting to feel a little worry and anxiety. I don't have a cell phone. I go to a payphone, call the tow truck company. Oh, somebody will be there. Go back to the car, waiting another hour. So I'm there for like, uh, you know, four or five hours at this point. I'm just starting to panic. I'm starting to lose my faith in God. God, where are you? I just went to this conference and you're not showing up. Finally, oh, probably nine hours later, a tow truck comes. And I'm just, I'm just like bedraggled. I'm just at my end. I needed some training in prayer. I didn't know how to pray. I sympathized with the disciples. I was feeling the same way. Oh, Jesus, teach me to pray. Teach me how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. Well, as we look at this passage, uh, we learn about Jesus' master school of prayer. And he invites us all into his master school of prayer. Did disciples do what disciples do? They asked their, their master, their rabbi, to teach them to pray. This is what John's disciples did. And this was pretty typical of what a disciple would do. They would ask their master to teach them to pray. And uh, it's not that they didn't pray before. This is a very much a prayer-soaked culture. But they want to pray how Jesus prayed. They saw what was happening as a result of Jesus' prayers. They wanted that very prayer life in themselves. They saw that Jesus would get away to pray often. He was praying right before uh, this, before they, uh, right before he, they asked him to teach them. Um, so they asked, Jesus, teach us to pray. They wanted to do the very things that Jesus himself did, and they knew that prayer was the key. So for us, is our discipleship relationship to Jesus uh, at the point where we've, it's worth asking if we've ever asked for Jesus' lessons in prayer? We were asked for Jesus to teach us. And Jesus provides, then, in response to the disciples, a framework for prayer. And we see here a sort of truncated version of the Lord's Prayer. You can find the kind of more familiar, longer version in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. But this has the same spirit. Uh, just, uh, it's kind of the uh, cliff note version, I guess, of the Lord's Prayer. Not that you really need a shorter version. It's not that long in the beginning to begin with. But it's a shorter version. And I think Jesus wants us to pray this Lord's Prayer. This is a gift to us. This is a framework for prayer. A prayer of a lifetime. So we begin with the address. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. Which is a radical thing. Father, hallowed be your name. 
the address to the Father is the very beginning. And this is key for our prayer life as well. It all begins with address. I think if you look at when prayers become rote, when things become stale, a lot of it has to do with we haven't truly, in our hearts, addressed God or come present to the reality of God as our Father who hears our prayers. When we begin with the address to God the Father, we realize where we're located, that we are a child of God. We pray to God as a father because we're his children. Now we do we, uh, when we address God as father, now we do we realize the intimacy of our father's, of the father-son relationship. We realize that God is father, but he's also God of the universe. So God is both intimate and all-powerful. Hallowed be your name. God is holy, yet he is still father. He is close. He is imminent to us, but he also is transcendent. So that's where this prayer begins. Uh, and then as, as we follow along in the rest of the, uh, of the prayer that Jesus gives us, we're asking that the Father's kingdom would break into our world, that his kingdom would come, that, that heaven would break in here and now in our lives and then through our lives, that God's provision, protection, and forgiveness would flow through us. We're inhaling God's presence, so to speak, so that we can exhale his will in the world, as one author puts it. Inhale God's presence and exhale his will in the world. So this is Jesus' gift to us, this framework for prayer. And it's possible for us to frame all of our prayer life around this prayer that Jesus gives us. Um, There's depths here. Don't let the familiarity uh, fool you. We can go so deep into this prayer. We can bring other things into this framework for prayer, not have to step out of it. Um, uh, one of my uh, favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says, uh, calls this, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the enduring framework of the prayer, praying life. Um, so uh, Jesus invites us to pray in this way, um, to, to pray the prayer that he's given us. And as I said, there's so many depths to this prayer. I, I'm going to go ahead and, again, read from, from Dallas Willard uh, his experience of praying the Lord's Prayer. I personally did not find the Lord's Prayer to be the doorway into a praying life until I was in my mid-20s. In my family, that prayer was, for three generations I know of, always said in unison at the breakfast table. But at some point, for reasons I cannot explain, I began to use it in a new way taking each phrase of it and slowly and meditatively entering in to the depths of its meaning, elaborating within it important details of my current life. When I began to live in the prayer in this way, for that is the only way I can describe it, there were many nights when I would awaken at about 2 o'clock and spend an hour of delight before God, just dwelling in one or more of the phrases from it. I had to make a point at times, as I still do, of praying thoughtfully on through the entire prayer, Otherwise, the richest of one or two phrases in the prayer would be all I could develop, and I would not benefit from all its contents. Sometimes now, I do not begin at the first request, but go immediately to the end or the middle and just settle in there for a while. At other times, I will just use the words of the address, our Father filling the heavens. That's his translation. So he, he used, uh, I use this to establish and reestablish 
my orientation as I go throughout the day. For some reason, I especially profit from using those words while driving Los Angeles freeways. They put the vast, sprawling urban landscape with a greater population than many nations into its proper perspective before God, and they transform my sense of who I am and where I am. I've never found any situation in which they failed to be extremely powerful. I could have used those words sitting there on the Embarcadero in San Francisco. Oh, Father, uh, hallowed be thy name. Father who is here with me. So this, is a, uh, this prayer can be a, a way, a framework in which you can you know, pray about any need that you have. You know, that's, that's the great gift of this prayer. Uh, one thing we've done as a staff team is we've prayed through slowly the Lord's Prayer, the Matthew version, and just dwelt in each phrase for a little bit. Our Father. We let the reality of God as Father sink in. Hallowed be thy name. We let that sink in. And so on and so forth. Um, so again, I invite you to, to use this prayer as a way to fit life uh, into prayer. I also would like to mention that um, this is a, a, a Trinitarian prayer as well, though it might not see it, seem it at first. We pray to God the Father, but we're praying with Jesus who gave us this prayer. We're praying alongside Jesus as he prays his prayer, and we're praying it with the Holy Spirit. For me, for some reason, I, I kind of got caught up in saying, oh, I, I'm just praying to God the Father all the time. Oh, I'm praying to God the Father with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's uh, helpful for me to, to remember. Not only that, but we join the saints across cultures and ages as we pray this, uh, this prayer that's been prayed over the centuries. Again, it's Jesus' gift to us. But Jesus doesn't stop there in his master class on prayer. He goes on to explain uh, not just what to pray, but how to pray it. He explains how prayer works. The two examples that he shares show us that prayer is an invitation to an interactive relationship like that of a, of, of a friend to a friend, or that of a father to child. These are persons interacting. God's, in Jesus' vision, he teaches us that God is not stoic, far removed. God cares what goes on in our lives. He knows. He wants to interact with us personally. Nor is God a vending machine, as some of the prosperity gospels might teach. That if we say just the right prayer, God will produce this for us. If I put this nickel in the slot, I'll get this back. No, no, that's not interactive relationship. That's transaction. It's not about transaction as much as, much as it's about interaction. That's, that's what God desires. That's what Jesus shows us. I love that Jesus uses the language of family to describe prayer. Wearing into a family relationship every time we sit down to pray. It's also important to know that um, prayer is not just about kind of changing your perspective. I, I've heard this taught in different ways that, you know, the most that prayer really can do is just kind of give you the right mindset before God. Well, it does do that, but prayer actually has the power to change reality. It's what, it's what we learn. It has the power to change lives and reality because God has the power to do so when you're interacting with God. So how do we ask? Jesus, in verses 9 through 10, says, uh, seek, knock, and ask. These are very much active relational terms, verbs. Seek, knock, ask. Be engaged. 
I think it's important to be specific as we come before God in prayer. Again, sort of like the address, if we're not coming uh, to God with clarity about who he is, the reality of his presence, our, our prayer life will suffer. In the same way as we bring things before God, it's important to be very specific and clear what we're bringing before God. I, I know I, I, I struggle with this. For me, an image came to mind. For me, I'm, I'm conscious of God's presence with me, and I'm very conscious of the different needs in the world. But sometimes I don't introduce the two things. It's like uh, I'm bringing God to a party. It's kind of an absurd analogy. I'm bringing God to a party, and I know somebody, and you know, I, I'm with God. I'm like, oh, how's it going, Bob? And, and God's right here. I don't take the time to, to introduce the two. So I, I think that's uh, maybe helpful you know, to imagine that uh, as we, we have uh, awareness of needs around us and awareness of God's presence, it's really important to bring these things uh, together in our prayer life. There's power in request. And it's okay to keep asking, we learn from these scriptures. Be shamelessly audacious in your prayers. Be bold. There's a promise that, that you will be answered, that one will find and the door will be opened. I'm going to say more about that later. This is where it gets complicated and difficult sometimes. I'm going to read a story. I think stories are sometimes really helpful when it comes to prayer. And it comes from a guy named John Orberg who uh, pastors a small community church just up the road in Menlo Park. Just joking. He's pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian, which is a pretty big church. This is from, if you want to walk on water, you've got to step out of the boat. So he writes, One of my favorite adventures in prayer involves Doug Coe, who has a ministry in Washington, D.C. that mostly involves people in politics and statecraft. Doug became uh, acquainted with Bob, an insurance salesman who was completely unconnected with any government circles. Bob, Bob became a Christian and began to meet with Doug to learn about his new faith. One day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, Ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. Is that really true? Bob demanded. Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You just have to take it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But yes, it really is true. Jesus really does answer prayer. Great, Bob said. Then I got to start praying for something. I'll think I'll pray for Africa. That's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to one country, Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya, Doug asked. No. You ever been to Kenya? No. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So, Bob made, uh, so Doug made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, then the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. Bob began to pray, and for a long while, nothing happened. Then one night, he was at dinner in Washington. The people around the table explained what they did for a living. One woman said she had helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away. But he could not keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He had not said much up to this point, and now he pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman just said to Bob, overwhelmed by his sudden barrage of questions. You've been to Kenya before? No. You know someone in Kenya? No. Now how come you, be, how come you happen to be so curious? Well, someone's kind of paying me $500 to pray. She asked Bob if he would like to come to visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. 
When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write to large pharmaceutical companies, describing, them, describing to them the vast need he had seen. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. Why not send them to this place in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. This orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gift because of the letters you wrote. Would you like to fly back over and have a big party? Will you come? So Bob flew to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country and offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison. Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, he was told. That's a bad idea, Bob said brightly. You should let them out. Bob finished the tour and flew back home. Sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him you should let him out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released, and the State Department was told it had been largely because of Bob. So the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane once more and flew back to Kenya, where he prayed and asked God to give wisdom for the leader of the nation as he selected his government. All this happened because one man got out of the boat. How about you? What are you praying for? Give it six months. John Orberg says, he'll make you a deal. I'll give you the, the Bob challenge. I'll, if you pray every day for six months and nothing extraordinary happens, write me. I won't promise you $500, but I will give you a refund on the cost of this book. <laughs> to the contrary, if something extraordinary does happen, you have to write me and tell me about it. Well, uh, I can't give you a refund on the cost of his book, but I'll give you a refund on the cost of this sermon. Uh, just kidding, it's bad. Well, so I ask you, it's, a, it's an encouraging story about one man who, who sought, who knocked, who asked for six months. Have you prayed with that sort of relentlessness, relentlessness in a while? With that intensity, regularity? When I was six years old, we had uh, a service in our church uh, about bringing our world to Christ. And we were invited to write down the name of somebody that we wanted to see come to know Jesus. When I was six, I wrote down the name of my best friend, who happened to be a Mormon that day. And prayed for years for this friend. Uh, about three or four years ago, this friend finally became a Christian, about some 20 years later. The seeking and the asking and the knocking sometimes takes a while. But it's an invitation to relationship. To know God in a better way as we, as we seek and we ask. There's power in a request. Asking and receiving is the, the basis of any healthy relationship. So it too is with God. An important part of asking is knowing how to receive though. Bob, I guess if he heard this, this woman talk about Kenya and just kind of 
didn't say anything, what, what would have happened? But he asked, and then he knew how to receive. He stayed there until the door opened up, and he walked right through it. At the same time, sometimes our prayers aren't answers in the, answered in the way we would imagine. It could be that God is answering our prayers in a way different than we would want. But it could be good news for us. Uh, P.T. Forth says this, We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. It could be that what we think is a fish or a piece of bread is really a scorpion or a snake. We just don't know it. Sometimes also as we learn to receive, we realize that we can become the answers to our, to our prayers. Um, it's great hearing stories of people praying for their neighbors and then their awareness of their neighbors really increased as they prayed for them. And they started to see opportunities uh, for interaction. The, the challenge is to keep engaging, to keep praying um, through the ups and downs in life. To keep our eyes open to how God might be answering our prayers. To listen for God's response. Ultimately, in verse 13, Jesus promises that God will gladly give us the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate gift. God's presence with us. That's the end of all prayer when it comes down to it. Greater relationship with Christ. And I don't mean to gloss over the difficulty of, of unanswered prayer, un, unanswered prayer or, or of bad things happening to good people. That's a huge topic. And, and I think that naturally comes up during this, this scripture. There's lots of reasons why prayers aren't answered immediately or, or answered in the way that we would hope. The reality is that we're broken, and so is creation. And God is redeeming it right now. But his redemption's not done. He will continue to redeem it. He'll, he'll, and when he comes again, we'll, we'll see the completion of his redemption. But maybe there's a t- temptation to, um, to think that because difficult things happen, because our prayers aren't answered in the way uh, which we think they should, that we really shouldn't pray at all. Well, the reality is that the world's broken, and God desires to answer prayer. These things aren't mutually exclusive. That's just reality. It's hard to grasp sometimes how the little prayers that we utter, sometimes God answers, answers those um, while there's great problems in the world. But that's reality. The good news is that through our lives and through prayer, we get to participate with God personally. We get to see him act. We get to, to play a part in his kingdom coming here on earth. So every chapter of our lives, every need we experience, the needs around us, I really believe these are all situations where we can experience new depths in our relationship with God. The good news is that because, again, the good news is that because of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, we're 100% safe. We're safe. We may die, but we're safe. We know that through Jesus, that though there's death, there will be resurrection. We can completely trust God. The picture Jesus gives is that of a loving father who's perfect in power, 
who longs to be in relationship with us. We need to have this picture of God as loving Father, perfect in power before our eyes as we pray. Knowing this, we can declare alongside Paul, who wrote before there was anesthesia, as C.S. Lewis reminds us, that we know that in all things God works for the good, those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your, fa- will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. And I invite you to pray along with me the Lord's Prayer uh, from Matthew. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.